the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Uh, Welcome to the Pro-America Report. Good to be with you. And for those watching on Periscope, uh, thank you for tuning in there. So many folks at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. The Pro-America Report. Every day, one hour, catch up on all the details. We've got great guests. If you didn't get to hear Selena Zito yesterday, you want to hear her. She told you that people don't want to talk about politics. And I told her afterwards, I got to talk about politics because it matters right now. So here's what you need to know. We'll talk about other stuff later on in the show, but here's what you need to know. Nancy Pelosi is lying again, and no one is calling her on it, except I'm going to do it, and spending the time. She thinks she can lie. The media will cover her lie, and it will damage the president. Well, the president himself was even nicer to her today when he tweeted about her and said she wasn't so bad. But here's how she lied, and here's what you need to know. Nancy Pelosi over the weekend did an interview and she undertook the talking points of the left, which is somehow the American response was too slow, too slow to this pandemic. Now, it's a lie. All the experts say America was more prepared than any other nation and that nobody was really ready for this. But here's how devious the lie is and what you need to know to understand, to talk back to people. What do I mean? Pelosi lied. Well, Pelosi, what the left does, and Nancy Pelosi does it better than anyone, is she says something about someone else when she really means it about herself. Yeah, by the way, thank you, uh, Mike Lindell, talking about uh, the Lord on uh, in the White House uh, Rose Garden press conference was great. Thank you for putting that up there. Uh, I guess it's Norwich. Appreciate it. We'll talk about that later on, too. But here's the thing. Pelosi's lies. Here's what it looks like. So the left takes something that they're doing and says it about the president. So Nancy Pelosi says the president fiddled. She used that phrase fiddled as if fiddling while Rome burns is the line is the is the reference. But here's the reality. Nancy Pelosi at the time. Now, let me set this up for you. This is so important to understand. There is in our um, uh, massive American government system, there are a certain set of people who are briefed about what is happening at any given moment. And they call it they, they call it the gang. I think it's the gang of eight. And the eight, I think, are Nancy Pelosi and McCarthy, right? The top two Republican and Democrat in the House, uh, McConnell and Schumer. So those are the other two. And then the heads of the Intelligence Committee in both the Senate and the Intelligence Committee in the House. So guess who that is? Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff are in the Gang of Eight. By the way, so is the Republican Richard Burr, who traded all his stocks. He sold his stocks right after getting briefed. Here's my point. Anything the president is seeing at the highest level, almost anything. I mean, there is a separation of powers, but the intelligence community is briefing the Gang of Eight in Congress on what's happening. So Nancy Pelosi knows exactly what's happening. She knew exactly when the president knew about all the stuff in, uh, in Wuhan and all the rest. If her criticism is why didn't you do something sooner? Here's the comeback. Nancy Pelosi, during the period of time when you were briefed on what was going on, if you thought it was such a terrible problem, here's the two things she was doing. You know, two things she was doing fiddling. 
She was fiddling by what? Impeachment. She knew the impeachment was a sham. She knew it was a joke. And instead of breaking through the impeachment noise, here we have the House impeaching the president and a, and a trial in the Senate at the same period where Nancy Pelosi says more should have been done. That's why we said Congress is broken and she's lying about it. The second period of time, by the way, where she fiddled, really fiddled, was when she flew back on her jet. She gets an Air Force jet as Speaker of the House. She flew back back from California. Remember this? On Sunday night, a week ago, eight days ago, nine days ago. And she exploded the deal that was supposed to be a an effort to help people, the massive stimulus, which had lots of wasteful spending. Why? Because she wanted to put in all her pork. She wanted to do all this kind of stuff. But literally, she was fiddling while Rome was burning. She was fiddling while the, the virus was burning through the world. So you have to watch for this. What you need to know is the left takes the things that people are doing on the opposite side and then criticizes them while they're doing it themselves. If you notice that you'll watch the uh, with great sanctimony, there'll be stories about corruption. And they even did this to Richard Burr. Richard Burr is the Republican who deserves a criticism for selling stocks after being briefed on the uh, the the uh, Wuhan virus, the China virus. And here's the thing, though. Everybody else on the Democrat side does worse. The amount of money that Nancy Pelosi has made since Speaker, since she's been Speaker, that they, they go back to the Clintons. But the point is, they know how. It's an Alinsky mess, uh, method. It's a, they know how to use against the conservatives and against we the people our principles because they have none. So when Nancy Pelosi says to herself as she wakes up in the morning, man, I wasted a lot of time in January on the impeachment trial, on the impeachment fiasco, on the hoax. But I, I don't care because I don't care about my, any of this stuff. I just care about power. And so I'll accuse someone else of fiddling. It's exactly the problem. Now, understand what you have to have wholesale is the draining of the swamp. Because think about what I just told you. The gang of eight who have been briefed on all these inside things include Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, terrible leader. Last week, we had Daniel Gade. Colonel Gade is running against Warner. You should check him out. Daniel Gade, great guy. Uh, and, and Richard Burr, the Republican. Those two guys are in the tank together. Remember, they're the two that forced Donald Trump Jr. to be before their committee like two or three times, I think, and sit through hours of testimony. Richard Burr should have been the Republican and say, man, this is a hoax. Why? Because he's in the swamp. He's selling his stocks to be and make money. He's in the swamp. Adam Schiff. Now, I don't know who the who the Republican uh, uh, leader of the Intelligence Committee is right now. It might be uh, Jim Jordan. I think it is Jim Jordan. I think he got promoted to that spot after uh, the previous chair decided to go back and run for uh, run for Senate in, in Georgia. The point here is think about who's being briefed. And then Schumer and Pelosi, Schumer and Pelosi, Adam Schiff and uh, and Mark Warner are all being briefed on the intelligence at the highest level. They don't hold back from these guys and gals. They give them everything that's going on. So if there was the Wuhan virus is coming through Europe, they would know about it. So just understand, watch yesterday, if you watch the press conference with the president, and I have to say, no one is saying this. I think the president looks exhausted. I think he looks exhausted. I have been saying for a couple of years that the president seemed to be immune to that terrible aging uh, effect that so many presidents go through. You look at Bill Clinton in 1993. By 1997, he looked 30 years older. You know, George W. Bush, same thing, Obama. And I thought uh, Trump was actually aging well, probably because he'd been sort of self-preserving for a long time. But he suddenly looks tired. He sounds tired. Because why? Because he's working his tail off. 
And he's got a grasp of all these facts. And he's, he's flailing, banging away on the truth. He's listening to the experts. He's bringing in the CEOs. He's, he's getting in the hospitals, the doctors, all these things. You watch this guy and you say to yourself, if you ever had a leader who could bring more people together into the system and get expertise and make decisions, because here's what Nancy Pelosi will never understand because she's never been a CEO. She's been a politician. And that's why she sits back and says everyone else is fiddling. If you're a CEO, ultimately, the hard decision is yours. You can get all the experts that tell you the timeline. You can get all the CEOs that tell you this. You can get the economists that tell you that. You get the Federal Reserve Board, the chairman, the president say. You get all these people that say all these things. Ultimately, you as the CEO, Donald Trump, you have to make the call. You have to make the decision. And that's a lonely spot. You talk, you go back in history. I was, I was actually reviewing. I'm, I, I saved it because I wanted to make sure I didn't lose it. There's a great exchange between Michael Beschloss, the uh, sort of swamp historian for presidential folks. He's always on TV. You'll see him on uh, MSNBC uh, with Mika Brzezinski, you know, all that, the, the morning, morning Mika, they'll be on there. And so Beschloss is, and Beschloss was on with Rahm Emanuel. And Rahm Emanuel, of course, at the time was mayor of uh, Chicago. It's the famous phrase, don't let an, a uh, crisis go to waste. And Emanuel and Beschloss talk about how presidents in time of crisis, how they react. And if you if you can imagine, it's a wartime president. And what you need to know is when Nancy Pelosi says Trump fiddled, when she accuses him of things, when she attacks him, we're in a wartime. This is a war footing. If you can't unite now, you, Nancy Pelosi, you're a traitor. You're a traitor to the American people. I'm not saying you have to agree on any of the policies, but if you can't see when you look in the eyes of Andrew Cuomo or Governor Hogan or any of these other folks, what's happening to people out there that are Democrats? Well, Hogan's not a Democrat, but he might as well be. But you get my point. And Nancy Pelosi, and this is what you need to know is takeaway. I don't like to put in the headline that that Pelosi's a traitor. She's a liar, but she's not really a liar. She knows what she's doing. She's a traitor to we the people. And, and it's, it's comical, except it's deadly right now. It's comical, except it's deadly right now. And that's what we're facing all over the place. By the way, we, we had some great, there's some great lessons uh, we're going to learn, and we're going to talk about the next few days, about what is happening with our healthcare system. And remember, the healthcare system that Obama set up and that the big hospitals have administered put us in this position where we're not, we don't have enough beds. That's fine. It was a pandemic. But we also have to understand, what do we want in the future? How do we want our health care to be not administered by people that have a supply chain problem with China, that have an administrative problem? I think we need to be very careful that we develop the solutions for going forward for our health care. That's another conversation. But what you need to know right now is take it to the bank. Whenever the left criticizes the president of something, it's what they're doing. When Nancy Pelosi says somebody fiddles, she means that she's the one that hasn't had the interest of the American people in her heart or mind or her work. And she's the one that history will judge as a traitorous Speaker of the House. Traitorous, terrible, terrible, terrible person, terrible thing to do. And just we got to call it. We got to call her on it. And, and we ought to mock her like Alinsky taught. She uses Alinsky all the time. We ought to mock her like Alinsky taught for being just pathetic. I mean, it's just embarrassing. The only thing worse than her right now is uh, listening to Biden barely put sentences together. So, all right, we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, she hasn't been on in a long time. It's embarrassing. Is uh, is Janet Porter, the founder of Faith to Action. Um, and she is, if you go to F2, the number 2A, F2A, uh, Janet Folger Porter. She's been, she's the founder of that organization. She's the president of it. She's one of the brains and, and uh, hearts behind the heartbeat bill. Uh, but also, we, ha- I, we have had in this time of crisis opportunities, as Rahm Emanuel, St. Rahm Emanuel teaches us. And so... So welcome to the program, Janet. How are you? Thank you. Doing very well. Thanks so much, Ed. Uh, well, and last week we talked about, Janet, your initiative, which I joined and others joined, which was to say, hey, wait a second, if you're going to have to close a lot of things down, which is understandable, at least in terms of the initial threat, um, let's, why don't we close down the abortion industry, too? I mean, is that an essential service? So first, let me ask you, who's against that? Who's against saying, if you can't go to school, if you can't go to, uh, you know, the gym, if you can't go to church, we'll get to that later, too, who's, who says, oh, yeah, but essential service? Services includes abortion. I, it, it, you know, who jumped up to a put to uh, push that? Well, you know, you've got uh, people like Planned Parenthood, and we called and we've made videos to expose that they they remain open. By the way, abortion is an elective surgery uh, by definition, or they wouldn't call it a choice. So we know that that's the fact. <laughs> What's happening right, right now right. is you've got governors, uh, you know, uh, and and, uh, and 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 you know those who are are pushing the abortion agenda that are actually in Florida, they're arresting pastors for holding uh, a church service. Uh, they've arrested peaceful pro-life protesters in North Carolina, even though they've, practicing, they've been practicing safe distance, uh, uh, you know, uh, lengths of six feet apart. But meanwhile, the abortion mills remain open. Well, as these, these pro-lifers were being arrested, there were 20 women that went in for their elective surgery of abortion. And listen, it's either, it's either a pandemic or it's not. It's either a risk or it isn't. And so they have, they have really two choices. They either close down the abortion clinics or open up the churches. And that, I think, is really the message that needs to be said. <laughs> that, you know, it, it, there can be no sacred cows in a pandemic. If they close your school, they close your church, they close your, your hair salon, they close your, you know, your place of business, then they need to, uh, they need to close the abortion mills because that's where the spread is happening because they're, they're open for business. Uh, in, in almost every state. There are two states where they're currently not killing children, Oklahoma and in Iowa. Uh, the governor of Texas and Attorney General Ken Paxton in, in uh, the state of Texas closed down their abortion mills for uh, several days, and the uh, the judges got involved. And wouldn't you know it, it happened uh, in Texas, as always. in Ohio. They've got a temporary restraining order, and, and this is the deal. This puts us all at risk. You know, even when the abortion clinics were closed in Texas, what we're finding is the abortion clinics were telling us that the, the Texans were coming to Alabama. There were license plates spotted from Texas to going into abortion mills in New Mexico. And what they do is they go there and they all come back and bring the spread of whatever they, they uh, happen to contract with out of state. They bring it back where they live. So in order for the protection of the citizens to take place, while this has generally been a state's issue, we need the president, the vice president to stand up because uh, we're all at risk. 
even if the state does their job, as they did in Oklahoma, as they did in, in Iowa, and close the abortion clinics, uh, even in, in Texas, the judges are getting involved. But, but again, if these people go out of state, they come back uh, to get, you know, they go to, to get an abortion out of state, they come back, they are putting the rest of the state at risk. So, so the, the governors are doing what they can. Nine governors have issued orders to, uh, to close abortion clinics specifically. Um, many others have a, a ban on non-essential or non- or on elected procedures while abortion mills remain open. We see it in New York. You know, you can't, you, you know, they're, they're facing in New York right now, Ed, um, a, a year in jail. They're, said they're, they're threatening that they're going to, to permanently close uh, abortion clinics in New York. In Virginia, they said, you're going to be, be facing a year in jail if 10 of you get together to worship your God. There is something wrong mm-hmm. with no states have abortions open for business, but the churches are closed and Christians face going to jail if they worship their God, which is, by the way, an enumerated constitutional right where there is no right. There is a right to life, but there is no enumerated right to kill your children. Well, and and we're talking with Janet Porter, and it's F2A, Faith to Action, F2A.org. And, you know, uh, Janet, you're exactly right. And the question becomes, um, will the sort of hypocrisy of the so-called conservatives, you know, the Republican governors, I Republican governor in Missouri, who is pro-life, at least it has been in some terms of the policies and what he says. But as you point out, um, they, they, they all uh, uh, shy from the fight. And, and here's what I tell our listeners. The, the more opportunities you have to point out how crazy this system is, the more opportunities you have to persuade people. Because, you know, the, the, I hope there's going to be less stories about pastors being arrested. There should be, right? They should all be embarrassed and they should change that behavior. But we also need more stories about some governors saying, yeah, you know what? We're going to do just what you, uh, what we just talked about, which is we're, it's an elective surgery. And when we're through this period, lots of other elective surgery can pick up. We're not saying we can ban it today. If we do some other things, we can. Um, but Janet, again, back to the, um, back to the response. There's a bunch of Republicans. I, I'm, it's a setup, I know, as I say this to you, but there's a bunch of Republicans that should know better, and they're just not moving. Is is it the standard? You know, kind of look the other way. Is it? Uh, do you have hope that this sort of movement that started in a couple states can spread? What's your feeling right now? Well, uh, as I said, we've seen we've seen uh, uh, states that have standed, stood up to do the right thing. Texas, uh, although the court is blocked, and Ohio, Governor DeWine, the court is blocked. Is here in the state of Ohio. I was the first one, by the way. I was one of the people that called hmm. on our governor to, to issue that order, um, but that was uh, that was blocked. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, Mississippi, Louisiana, Indiana, Oklahoma, uh, Iowa, but but there are other states that have banned elective surgeries, but abortions continue. That is, that includes uh, Florida, Maryland, Colorado, Michigan, Vermont, New York, Arkansas, and Arizona. Um, and so we're looking at, uh, at, at uh, a special exception, by the way, being made in New Jersey that says, hey, you know, you can't have elective surgeries, but you can still have the elective surgery of abortion in New Jersey, Illinois, Washington, and Massachusetts. It's happening, of course, in, in New York and Virginia and elsewhere. We've, we've just got to say enough's enough. Either, either, either there's a pandemic or there isn't. And either we need to close things down or we don't. And I'll tell you this, uh, I, I, it bothers me as an American to see pastors that are going to jail for, for holding worship. Not yet. Do we want to, do we want to try and, and, uh, and do things online if we can? Yeah. But you want to know something? If, if the churches are closed down and pastors are facing jail time, how dare they? And how dare they 
keep yeah. the abortion mills open for business. It's absolutely appalling. And we're telling people to go to Stop the Spread right now.com stop the spread right now.com you can see a list of governors that you can call if your state's not on the list you can call your governor but i'm telling people to call right now to call the white house uh and that's 202-456-1414 and ask the president to intervene because again even if your state is you live in oklahoma even if you live in iowa uh your state is still at risk as others come come from uh, other states to yours uh, as these abortion, the abortion clinic doors really are more than a crack in the door to the virus. They're a wide open invitation for the coronavirus to spread. And so we're asking the president, the vice president, to, to simply tell the governors, hey, listen, there can be no sacred cows in a pandemic. And, uh, you know, we've got to we've got to close the virus, close the door on the virus and close the door on uh, on the abortion mills. So that number 202-456-1414. And you can see uh, uh, the list of governors at StopTheSpreadRightNow.com. Also the leaders, by the way, since you were uh, one of the courageous leaders, you and Andy Schlafly, we added to the list people like Dr. James Dobson, uh, Tim Wildman from the American Family Association, uh, former Majority Leader Tom DeLay, members of Congress, uh, state representatives from multiple states are all on this list of, of pro-family, pro-life leaders. And uh, it's time, it's time now for us to, uh, to to stop the spread. It's time for us to call for the protection from this virus and, and, and be even even handed in the enforcement. You know, like when you've got a double standard, well, it is deadly in yeah. a pandemic. That's right. And, and, and even more, um, as you say, it's deadly. But that, that's a serious part. I'm one of the ones here who's saying to people, hey, this is a serious, my wife's a doctor. This is a serious virus. It's hurting people more dramatically. It spreads more easily. It's worth it to take what the president's asking us to do, which is change our behavior, social distance. But it's insane, as you point out, that in the midst of that, we're going to allow elective abortion surgery. You know, it brings back the Andy Schlafly argument. Who, who's in charge of making sure that if you have a problem at the elective surgery of abortion that you can get to a hospital who who wants to go to a hospital i mean you know at this point it's it is really insane and the fact that there's not more uh people willing to stand up uh we will put up there uh, on so, on social media and everywhere else stop the spread right now.com i gotta run janet thank you as always janet porter she's at f2a at faith to action f the number two a.org uh we'll take a break we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report be back in a moment Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and I'm very honored to speak to our next guest, uh, Congressman Daryl Issa, who I was really pleased uh, when he left Congress to go serve in the Trump administration. I thought, well, that's good. He's a very successful businessman, was, and has been a leader up there in Congress, and the president's smart to pick him. Well, that didn't exactly work out. Uh, lots of reasons why, but the swamp had something to do with it, and the fact that uh, Daryl Issa isn't really anybody's, uh, they don't control him in anywhere. So uh, anyway, whatever it was, he's running for congress again and he if you go to darylisa.com you can learn all about that kind of stuff but sir well welcome back and uh, to the program and thanks for taking some time to be with us well thank you for having me on and uh, uh if you get an opportunity you know all your listeners can just send a thank you to uh uh senator menendez who blocked my confirmation <laughs> Apparent, apparently exactly. he didn't he didn't like the way i treated Hillary Clinton uh, during Benghazi, and uh, he sought his uh-huh. revenge and put a, hold, a successful hold on me. But it's an exciting time to return to Congress. Uh, oh uh, man, yeah. Quite, quite it, frankly, it, it, we're going to be. Uh, we're going to go ahead. 
No, no, no. I think you're going to keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to get you. No, it's going to be a very exciting, interesting time. Yeah. It it is. And uh, I listened to James Langford today, Senator Langford, who was a a member of my committee, a good one. And he he said it pretty well. He said, he said, you know, austerity is going to have a whole new meaning after we start paying the interest on two trillion dollars we just spent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No. I mean, look, the challenges, you're a business guy and the challenges, you know, and be very, very successful. And I know the challenges that we have when we sort of get through this. I know we have to put our head down and get through it. Hey, before we get to a little more on that, I, we're talking with Congressman Daryl Issa, former congressman, I suspect soon to be next. We'll talk more about that over the next coming months. But I noticed in your oversight role years ago, you have played a role on the census because in 2010, the census was then administered by uh, Barack Obama's administration tomorrow april 1st of all things the census begins for the 2020 census and i guess my my question for you is you saw how the obama administration had sort of weaponized the census it feels to me what i read and see that the sort of the power of the bureaucracy if you want to call it the deep state whatever you want to call it but the bureaucracy of the census is added again you know california's governor and his legislature spent over a hundred million dollars to make sure to count everybody i think they're probably going to count the people in the liberal areas more than they are in the conservative areas but i just want your thoughts on how important the census is how dangerous it is to have it be politicized and manipulated and you know again it starts tomorrow well, at the time of our founding, the idea of a census had a different meaning because we really were not taking money to Washington and redistributing it back to the various states. Today, of course, you're representing trillions of dollars that gets divided up mostly on a per capita basis. So obviously, if you can inflate your numbers uh, in one area, you can do better. And by the way, in congressional districts, if you can inflate your numbers, like many of our urban districts, what ends up happening is you almost nobody seems to vote, but Democrats always win. So there's a number of reasons that playing with the numbers uh, can be a problem. What President Trump is clearly trying to do, which is historically what conservatives try to do, is simply do an accurate count. He doesn't want to do estimation. He doesn't want to have people who didn't answer and we guess how many live in their houses. And yet the bureaucracy always wants to claim there's an undercount that has to be adjusted by guessing. And uh, that's the right. we have every 10, 10 years. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And, and, and you know, again, I, I tell people um, what we should want is we were conservatives. Just count the numbers. One plus one plus one equals three, not one plus one plus one plus we'll add these over here and get 20. And that's the danger here. All right. Let me move on to this uh, to the moment we're in. First, you know, President Trump better, certainly better than I do, better than most would. Um, and again, you came out of a world where you had had a business. You knew what it meant to be the one who had to hire and fire and make decisions. You watch this president. I was saying earlier Nancy Pelosi, she talks like a politician. She's never had to be the one making the hard calls. You know, it's a hard call to decide how and who to listen to. And I guess your observations on the president and what the moment we're in, it it would be important to me. Well, I think the important thing uh, that really is true of, of President Trump is since day one, he's had to make life and death decisions for our country. Uh, It's not just about the money for the Department of Defense. It's about the men and women we send into harm's way, some of whom come back broken, some of whom don't come back at all. And that's that's what's really prepared him for where we are today. 
making life and death decisions on our economy and on our population. What are the assets we need to bring to to fight this virus? Uh, How many lives can we save knowing that just like any war, we can't save them all? Uh, We're going to save more than any other country. We're going to develop more cures than any other country. We're going to do everything better. But at some point, we also have to know, as we learn every day, that this incredibly strong form of the flu is, in fact, deadly like the Spanish flu was in 1918. And it is taking thousands of our lives of our citizens. And, and again, we're talking with Daryl Issa, and they go to the best place to go learn more about his career and what he's up to, and is DarylIsa dot com. Um, and uh, so, let me ask you this: a lot of our folks, meaning conservatives, and and in San Diego and our listening area and across the country, with the folks I talk to, are saying, "Okay, yeah, I trust the president's judgment. I hear what he's saying. I'm listening." Yet. Uh, sooner or later, and it feels like it needs to be sooner. We want to get back to work. We don't. We don't want to. We don't want to stay stuck. And that's the question, right? And I know no one has the answer. That's why he gets paid the big bucks, which he just gave away his money this quarter to the fight against the coronavirus. And uh, but it's a real challenge, isn't it? I mean, you know, and you're going to be in the middle of that, you know, in a new Congress going forward too. I. It feels like something we've never, and is something we've never seen before, right? It is something we haven't seen before, and what it is and what it will continue to be is that we weren't prepared, even though we had given billions of dollars to the World Health Organization uh, and to the uh, Centers for Disease Control for decades, we weren't prepared. We, in fact, did not have the tools needed to fight this virus properly. And so, you know, what we're going to the president's going to face as he gets us back to work is a greater investment in uh, a number of areas and a different way of doing business. He's going to have to create a beat the next virus task force. And he can't do it by sending, you know, spending endless money. He's got to do it in a better, smarter way. But, you know, you asked a question, Ed, and I think the important question to answer for your listeners is, when do we go back to work? How do we go back to work? And the president and his task force have been working on a plan. Admiral Ronnie Jackson, uh, remotely out of Texas, and myself were asked to participate in a phased return program. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to begin to see what I would call semi-essential businesses uh, being asked to gear back up. You're already seeing a lot of factories uh, that have converted. Brooks Brothers today announced that they're now making medical masks instead of shirts. So they're back to work. But you're going to start seeing other less essential services coming back online. And to do that and do it safely, they're going to need to have all the tools to reduce the spread of this virus until we can find a real vaccine or cure. And so... As we go through this, you're going to see the president coming up 10, 20, 30 days from now with various industries and people that can be trained and go back to work. And that's going to have to happen sooner, not later. 
That's uh, that's the I hadn't heard that phrase. I'm really thank you for coming on the program to tell us that, because I've been saying to folks, it's not a it's not a you know, if you're trapped in the world of two ideas, one idea is stay at home forever or the other one is run outside today. That's wrong. Right. Somewhere, you know, there's this and the, the phrasing you use, which is just important. And we'll be watching for it. You should call the phased return that if you're healthy and it works, you go back to work. But if you're not healthy or you're in the different uh, cohorts, uh, don't. Well, when I first asked your team to get you on, I was going to I was going to talk about the your opponent in this race who for a minute may use common sense and said speaker pelosi was off base uh, i don't even know if it's worth talking about because i think we you know we know where he is but i, I you know i don't know what, what I, you've told us so far is much more important than any of that but i, I you know it, we should say that uh, daryl ice's opponent in this upcoming election for a minute said nancy pelosi looked like she was wasting money then deleted the tweet which is classic he must have got a call from pelosi to say no 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 we got to stay the line here it's pretty it's kind of pathetic but maybe it's business as usual in the democrat party it really is uh i've served with a, a few democrats who were willing to buck nancy pelosi uh be be blue dogs if you will but they are rare and they're not made by a claim of a, a young man who says i'm going to be different i'm going to put country over uh, politics it's based on people who have deep uh, beliefs and uh i served with a number of them i remember bark stupak uh, and a number of others, ones who were pro-life or that were solid on national defense and would cross their party for it. This individual, unfortunately, has not yet shown that he's consistently has any particular belief that he's willing to uh, uh, pay a price for. And trust me, Nancy Pelosi will make you pay a price for being with her <laughs> only 80 percent of the time. Yeah, I, I can see that. All right, Daryl Issa. Again, DarylIssa.com. Go there. We'll put it up on social media. And at Daryl Issa on Twitter. It's a good Twitter feed. Thank you, sir, and good luck down the stretch. And, Thank you. And especially when it comes to your uh, this committee you're serving on with some others on the phased return, I just think it's so important uh, that we we, we, we uh, understand how life's going to be different, but it's going to be great, and we're going to get through it, and there's going to be creative thinking. So thank you for sharing a little bit of that, and we'll look forward to hearing more about it. Thank you, Ed. See you soon. All right. Take care. Daryl, I said we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. That's a very interesting show. That is a very interesting show right there for you. I hope you listened uh, and caught them all. It's Ed Martin here, the Pro-America Report, TheAnswerSanDiego.com. Hey, I got one of you texted me and said, I can't find the podcast. Well, you're not looking right. Go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com and you'll find it there. But if not, when you go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get podcasts, I do know this. It is not. Some people are looking for the Ed Martin movement. That's the old name. It's the Pro-America Report. You'll find it there. You can track it down. So thank you for doing that and pass it on to other people. Um, it is uh, very helpful to have that happen. By the way, um, I will be telling you um, that uh, I'm going to explain to you next in the next few days, maybe the next couple of weeks. I got for my birthday an Apple Watch. 
So I've gone all the way over to being some sort of like, uh, you know, one of these kind of walkie-talkie, hand, talking to my hand. The phone works there. It texts to it. It's the full-on Apple Watch. So I'll have to tell you more about that. I, the reason I thought of that is because while I'm doing the program, my wife just uh, texted me. Uh, so I'm not answering. I promise. I'm talking to you. Anyway, so we'll talk more about that. Please go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com also to check out those interviews. Daryl Issa, uh, Janet Porter, uh, get that. And EdMartinLive.com, EdMartinLive.com to get the Daily Wink, the Daily Wink, which you need to know in your inbox at 5 a.m. Pacific time. All right. A uh, couple of things. Um, I want to point out to you a change in in the president's approach to the press conferences in the last week or so. He's been doing these daily press conferences and he his he has done something that I don't think people expected and it's been very effective. But I want to point out how much more difficult it is than you think. And that is the last three or four days, he has uh, brought along with him CEOs who have helped with various aspects. You know, the famous one yesterday was Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy who was asked to come up and he said, I'm changing over all of our uh, plants and we're making masks. And then Mike went said, can I, I do a little statement, Mr. President? He said, sure. And so then he went into this incredible speech about how the Lord's blessed him and us and America and the president. It was just wonderful. It was heartfelt. If you know Mike Lindell, I had the chance to be with Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, um, a few months ago at an event. He's extraordinary. He's an extraordinary person personality. He's a self-made, hard scrabble, had a rough life, all kinds of things. Just an amazing guy. And so it was really uh, incredible to see him do that. But here's what I want to tell you about this. It's harder than you think to get CEOs to come together, even for the president of the United States. Now, it's a tribute to the fact that we're in a crisis. I think we should acknowledge that. It's not just the president's ability to um, bring them in, but that's part of it. He's had um, te- the tech company guys. He's had the Apple. Apple has a website that they put up. He's got, I mean, Google's got a website. Apple has a website, has a, a site too, an app, I think, that they built. He's been able to bring these CEOs. One of the reasons he's been able to do that is because he knew a lot of these folks or he knew sort of of them because he was a CEO himself. Um, but it's harder than you think. And the way I want to show that to you is... He is actually not getting some help from a couple places. Remember, he got into a fight with one or two of the Detroit automakers. And there's a couple of tweets earlier today where he's frustrated with them. My point here is what you saw over three or four days with, you know, the head of UPS, the head of FedEx, the head of uh, Abbott Labs, uh, uh, you know, the um, some of these others. It's a pretty impressive um, uh, um parade of leaders every one of those men and women is probably the best most talented most successful person in their large world and universe of what they do these are big time ball players at a high level and here's the trick that trump's been able to do is bring them in get their help and then share the stage share the limelight you know, you haven't had in the last three or four days a, a any press conference where it's even the president and the surgeon general or the vice president or these others. He shared the stage. And if you if you think if you don't believe for a moment that that message is not understood by corporate America, that they're going to get a chance to be uh, not only do the right thing, which is important, but also share the experience of doing the right thing in a very public way. That's a very powerful motivation. And somebody like Trump knows that. And my point to you is it's harder than it looks. It's harder than it looks to do that. 
uh, than you may think. I mean, it's just, it is. It's a, the reality of that. Um, so I wanted to point that out to you and then keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out for how often the president is not just thanking people in leadership, but giving them the microphone, giving them the platform, giving them the spotlight. Very powerful motivation, very effective uh, thing to do. Uh, one more uh, topic. I got a text from one of you yesterday. Uh, yesterday, it, yep. And they, the uh, comment was, is a great one, was in this time of massive, massive uncertainty, there is a huge pot of money sitting there for the American government, excuse me, to go and tax or to go and to um, um, uh, uh, raid, if you will. And that is the endowments of these massive higher education institutions. If you look at the endowment of Harvard University, I, I'm, I'm looking it up right now because I forgot to look it up uh, earlier today. I believe I looked it up last week and I'm just going to run the number wrong. So I'm going to make sure I look it up. The endowment of Harvard University is somewhere around, I don't know, $50 billion. Yeah, there's $40.9 billion. That's Harvard's endowment. That's the money that they have in the bank, getting interest, invested in assets and all that. Now, somebody's probably going to come back and text me and say, well, but Ed, that's gone down 25% because in the market. I don't care. It, it, it only exists because it has been so dramatically enhanced in the last 30 years on the backs of the American people because of the way government got into the business of running uh, 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 the university loan system. And so it, you know, it, the, the fact is there's every one of these um, universities that are major universities have benefited from the, uh, the system that has put, been put in place and they could be their, their massive endowments could be easily taxed. And we, by the way, it, it wasn't one of the recent bills. They did some of that. And so yeah, here you go. This is the 100, 100 richest universities. Uh, the um, Yale University, $30 billion at Yale University. This is the endowment. Stanford University, $27 billion. Now, it may sound like you know, Princeton, $25.9 billion. It may sound like, well, if you're spending trillions, you know, $25 billion doesn't sound like much. But it's our money. It's our money. And even more offensive than any of this, them accumulating the money, is that Harvard... In the in the one of the, in the so-called uh, um, you know kind of um, um, the bills last week, the one of the three bills that were helping to help people in need, Harvard got some money, and then they laid people off. The Kennedy Center got twenty-five million dollars, and they laid people off the next day. Uh, you know why can't Harvard, better example, go into its endowment and say, you know what, for three months or six months, we're going to keep the guys who work in the um, in the cafeteria on the payroll. We, maybe we'll make them uh, take on diff uh, different jobs because they can't stay in the in the cafeteria. There's nobody on campus, but there's something they could do. And the idea that everybody's got to pitch in, except for these endowments, is just disgusting. It's despicable, and it needs to be. We need to like we did, like we earlier demanded in the, earlier in this program when we and and earlier in the weeks demanded that China be held accountable and we're going to talk with Ted Malik tomorrow our old friend Ted Malik the uh, the, the London based American businessman and professor about China and the question of China he's got a column he's working on he told me about and you know we need to demand accountability for this period of the entities who benefited so dramatically because the, the Washington University in St. Louis has tens of billions of dollars in their endowment. That was generated. Let me be clear again, backing up. It was generated by them having a system of, of loans and grants from the government to allow it to build up. 
it wasn't someone gave them $8 billion. It didn't happen like that. And that ought to be a place where we say, hey, it's your time for you to do your do your fair share and you should chip in. And so that's what we that's what we have to hope for. I think that's another as a great point. I think it was Stan who texted me last night and said that it's a great point. Something we should bring back to the table and make sure people are talking about. Good. Good for you, Stan. Thank you for saying that. Don't forget, you you too can text me at 314-256-1776, 314-256-1776. Anytime, day or night that kicks to my phone. It doesn't don't worry. It doesn't wake me up. I don't keep my phone next to the bed because I'm not going to be woken up by anybody. Uh, but I'll get it as soon as I wake up. And uh, you can also go and direct message on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin or go to edmartinlive.com and sign up there for our email or email me directly at edmartinlive.com. All right. Thank you, as always, uh, for listening. And go to theanswersandiego.com. Get the show as a podcast. Pass it on to your friends. Help people hear about things. And thank you, as always, to Noah, our fearless technical director, manager of everything we pull off here, and also Joanna and Ryan out in Missouri for helping produce the program and book, the, book folks there. We will be back tomorrow night. we got a lot more to cover. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Thank you for listening. Talk to you tomorrow night.